Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. We, um, we have been talking about leadership, and last time we were together, we were discussing the idea of leadership in terms of, of stewarding, stewarding God's Word, right? And so God gave la- uh, leaders within the church body the responsibility of stewarding the mysteries of God. So He gave us the responsibilities to learn His Word, to hold His Word, to keep it, if you will, to teach it to other people, and to live it out with our lives. He's given us the responsibility of stewarding the doctrines that are central to our faith. And these aren't malleable. These aren't, these aren't flexible. His word is his word. His will is his will. And too many, too many stewards of the mysteries of God treat God's word with flexibility. As, well, as, as though they can do what they want with it in order to, to better promote their agenda. Okay, we often refer to this as eisegesis, right? The idea that people press their own opinions onto God's word in order to get the results that they want to get. And, and as leaders, we are not allowed to do that. We are not permitted to do that. We are, we are, we've been given the responsibility of simply looking at God's word, comparing scripture with scripture, and then determining what it is that we're supposed to do with our lives. And so we discussed the privileges and the challenges that come along with that stewardship, okay? Um, I'm start, still getting used to this mic. It is grinding into the back of my head. <laughs> so I've got to figure, figure it out. Is it, is it on right? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Sam, I, I'm going to need help, bro. You're not right now, but just at some point. I don't know what I'm doing. But we talked about the privileges and the challenges associated with that. With that. And, and, you know, as you learn God's word and you begin to function as a leader and you begin to teach God's word, you're going to come in contact with judgment. Okay? Now, now first of all, you're going to be judged of God because he's watching how you divide his word. Right? We, we know from God's word that, that we are supposed to study to show ourselves approved, approved of who? Approved of God. Right? a workman in his word, right? That's, that's a critical concept associated with being a steward of God's word is understanding that we're supposed to divide it and we're supposed to teach, teach it in a very particular way. And he's going to judge us for that at the judgment seat. But we are also going to be judged along the way by people's unfair expectations. And people are gonna look at you and they're gonna judge you and they're gonna assume that you're supposed to be serving their every need. And when you do things that don't look the way they want them to look, you are going to be judged, and what we learned last time is that you've got to learn to let that, let that go. Um, now, in the early 2000s, uh, it was, come, you don't want me to go back, do you? Okay, I, I saw people like, no, what is he about to do? What's he about to say? In the early 2000s, uh, I, believe it was, I believe it was Puff Daddy who initially, I still refer to him as Puff Daddy. Some people, some people refer to him as P. Diddy, but if you're old enough... Some habits are hard to break. But I think there was a thing in, in rap music in the early 2000s, late 90s. This, this was a thing. Yes? You just brush, brush off your haters. You got br- to brush them off. Right? 
This, I believe this preceded the collar popping that was popular soon after that. But, but this, is, this is what we have to do in ministry. We do have to learn to let the judgment of other people kind of just go off of our back. Why? Because if we let it affect us, it will impede the work that God has us to do. And if you're going to be a leader, you have to understand that, that, with that with that comes, you know, difficult, difficult situations, difficult territory, trial. And you've got to recognize that it's your job to endure that. Now today we're going to be discussing what it means to be leader, a leader that stewards, or not stewards, serves. Okay? That serves. And if we remember correctly, the church in Corinth... Uh, had let their prejudice and their partiality taint their perspective on the leadership in the church. And so we, we remember that they were forming factions and tribes around personalities, and they were putting some leaders over other leaders, and they were dividing the church up into, into factions that, that shouldn't have ever existed. And they were holding some leaders up with, with too high of esteem, and in so doing, they put others in low esteem. And ultimately, the results were division. Now, Corinth didn't understand what it meant to follow their leadership. Okay? The members of the church, didn't, they didn't know what it meant to submit themselves and yield themselves to the leadership of the church. They didn't know how to do that. And they also didn't understand how their character, their character, affected their own ability to lead. Now, we're going we're gonna, to uh, address this issue of character today and the posture of a leader, and the sacrifices associated with leadership. And so the question as we enter in today's sermon is this. Does pride hinder my growth and leadership? Okay, does pride hinder my growth and leadership? Now, pride's, pride's a tricky thing. Because all sin is associated at some level with pride, right? And it's kind of this, this underpinning of Anytime we disobey the Lord or choose to go against him, we choose to do our own thing. Anytime we choose to sin, at some level, there is pride right there. There's arrogance. There's, there's high-mindedness. It's always right there. It's always lingering just underneath the surface. And so when we talk about pride, sometimes we talk about it in the abstract. It becomes very abstracted. And so what I'm praying for, for today as it concerns this group of people is that as we study the word and we look at this, I want you to consider how pride pops up in your own life, okay? And how that pride may be hindering your ability to grow in the Lord, but also positively affect the lives of the people around you. Because as we said before, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, if we've, if we've accepted him as Lord and Savior, at some, at some level, everyone in this room is a leader. You've been called to lead. How is your pride possibly getting in the way of your ability to do that? All right, let's pray, and then uh, we'll get into it. You ready to roll? Steve, you got your Bible? Where's your Bible at, man? Ah, there you go. That's my man. Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that uh, you are the ultimate example of leadership for our lives. And, and in that way, because we can see you on every page of holy writ, and because we can see you in every narrative, in every story, in every doctrine, um, we can also see the Bible as a training manual on leadership. 
because you, you, are, you are the perfect leader and you do all things good. And so, Lord, I pray that your word today would teach us what it means to be a leader that serves and sacrifices. And, and Jesus Christ was clearly uh, the perfect example of what it means to sacrifice everything we have to lead other people to you and to serve, to serve with, with all of our energy and all of our being so that we might honor you and draw all men to you. So God, teach us today from your word. We love you. We, we cherish it. Um, and, and we ask that you'd convict us of what we need to be convicted of, of today. In Christ's name, amen. Right, let's begin by reading in verse 6. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your, for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another, and who hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory, as if thou hadst not received it? How, how, uh, now you are full, now you are rich, you are, uh, I'm sorry, my eyes, are, I think I'm getting old. I'm going to increase the size of my font here for a moment. Now you are full, now you are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us, and I would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And labor, working with our hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat it. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. Now, right up front, I want to tell you there's a lot to cover, and this is kind of a difficult passage to teach, and so... Um, I'm praying that God would, would give me the ability to be clear here because Paul is using a lot of sarcastic language and rhetoric. And I want to make sure that we uncover all of that. But we obviously know that what he's doing here is he's portraying for them leadership. He wants them to see clearly what leadership is supposed to look like. Now, as we look at leadership uh, structures like within our world, we recognize pretty quickly, like in the business world, for those of you who are studying business or in the business world, okay, you understand that the way that it works is that you are supposed to work your way into leadership so that you might be served, not serve, right? Your job is supposed to get easier the more money you're making. The bigger your office is, the more that people are supposed to be serving you and you're supposed to just kind of be managing the servants, right? And the way that we think about it is the more money that we make and the more privilege that we have in our profession, the easier it's supposed to get on our lives. When we look at, around at the examples of good leadership that the world espouses and lifts up, we see that that mindset has even crept its way into the church itself, hasn't it? 
Even in cultural Christianity, we see that this is a problem. Too many leaders strive to live like celebrity pastors. Too many leaders strive to live a life of comfort. Too many leaders are concerned with consolidating ministry and authority. Too many leaders are running roughshod over God's people. Too many leaders are concerned with the praises of men, aren't they? That's because, just like in Corinth, the lost world and the Gnostic system has crept into what we do. And so every pastor has to have an Instagram that promotes his personal brand. I just want to speak real quick, that, you know, how flawed this is. I mean, we've got, we've got you know, men, men of great influence, leaders of great influence in the church today, in the Western world, who put their name all over everything that they do. And the moment that pride gets the best of them, their ministry, everything associated with their name collapses around them. And we see this happen time and time again because what, what today leaders in the church are doing is they're trying to get attention and fame for themselves. Not for Christ, not, not Christ's name, not Jesus Christ, their personal name. And so you look around at the Western church and you, and you say to yourself, where are all the examples of good leadership? And the good news is that even when you don't see them in the world and even when you don't see them in the church we can see them in scripture. Yeah, that's the good news, is that we haven't been left alone, that we haven't been left in the dark, is that God does give us examples, and he wants us to see them with clarity. Verse six says this, and these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. So this phrase, in a figure transferred, means that Paul had presented he and Apollos to the church in Corinth as their examples. Okay, that's what that's saying, is that we are to be your examples. And up to this point in the letter, we see that Paul is referencing him and Apollos over and over again, hasn't he? And he's saying, look, we want to be those genuine examples of leadership that you need in the church. Now, so far in the letter, we've seen that, that they are stewards of truth. They are stewards of evangelism. Remember, hey, uh, I've planted, Apollos watered, and so he's explaining, Paul's explaining how they're an example of evangelism and discipleship in the church, and he says, look, and now we steward the mysteries of God, and you ought to do the same. Look at our example. See in us the leadership that you need. Now, he's going to present them, uh, themselves as examples of how they ought to serve as we move forward in the passage. Now, look, he's calling the church to see their example And it says that it was for their sakes. It was for their sakes. That everything that he's written so far in the letter and the example that he's presented to them, it's for their sakes. For their sake, that they too would function as leaders. That they would understand leadership. And that they too would live like leaders. And so there's a couple points that he makes right off the bat that I think is really important for us to capture. Two truths that we need to understand about leaders. And the first one is this. Leaders are defined by where they place their priority, or their authority, I'm sorry. Where they place their authority. Leaders are defined by where they place their authority. It says, and these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us 
not to think of men above that which is written. So here's your key point. Don't think better of men than what the Bible teaches us to. Don't hold men to a higher standard than what Scripture presents them as. The Bible is very plain about the weakness of mankind. Okay, let's look at a few passages to help us understand this better. Have you, have you written this down? I don't want to move too quick for you. You have a tendency to do that. You got, you got the key point written down? Okay, here we go. Job chapter 25, verse 6. It doesn't get much clearer than this. How much less man that is a worm and the son of man which is a worm? Okay? Now, there's not, there's not much lower than you can get than a worm. I mean, quite literally low. You've got to dig to find them. But they're fairly despised creatures. Now, eight-year-old boys don't mind worms so much. But my daughter, my, Clementine won't get near them, okay? Um, we were planting a tree this last week, and, a, and I was, uh, you know, we were digging through the, the rocks. We were trying to get the rocks out of the, the, the bed where we were going to plant the tree. And I handed her, like, a bunch of rocks to put into a bucket. And in the midst of it, there was a worm. And she freaked out. But here's the thing. We all understand, no matter where you're at, that, that worms are fairly low. And, and God right here in Job chapter 25 reminds us that, that men are a lot like worms. Isaiah 40, 17 says, All nations before him are nothing. Everything we build, every infrastructure that we create, every governmental system, everything that we build in our pride and our arrogance, they are They are nothing. And they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. To whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye, ye compare unto him? James 4.14. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? Well, I know what your life is. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Psalm 138.2 says, I will worship toward thy holy temple. And praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. Now, now listen, I want you to understand the difference between who we are versus who God is. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Okay, so here's the painting that I, that I want to put before you, okay? This is the picture. Is that we are incredibly low. We are sinners. We are depraved. We are, we are cursed by sin. We don't deserve any of the privileges that God has given us. And when we look at who we are within Scripture, we understand that we need a Savior desperately to redeem whatever this is. We need that. We need a Savior that will redeem us from our depravity. But at the exact same time, we see God say that His Word is magnified even greater than his name. That even his own name is lower than the authority of his word. So why is it, despite the fact that we learn God's word and we're growing in God's word, that we think that we're so great? How is it that we can read these pages and we can study this book 
And we can walk away and say to ourselves, after having learned who we are and what his word means and the authority that it is over our lives, how can we say to ourselves, well, man, I did a real good job today. I'm the bestest I know. And we look at ourselves in the mirror and we look with pride. And we look with arrogance. So that which is written proves to us that any human pride is completely unwarranted. That which is written proves to us that any human pride whatsoever is completely unwarranted. It's unfounded. When we see ourselves as something greater than we are, we put our frail human ego over the authority of Scripture. Another way to say this would be to say the Bible, not men, ought to be our authority. The Bible, not men, ought to be our authority. And I say that as a man that stands before you every week and preaches to you. I am not the authority. Sam Miles is not the authority. We are under shepherds in God's work. This book is the authority. And we ought to hold it higher than the words of men and the opinions of men. Galatians 1.10 says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. If my primary objective is to please you and to perform for you and to, to, to meet you at your every whim and vice versa, then I have defrauded my name as minister of Christ. I've been called to be a servant of Christ. That's how this chapter began, remember? I'm called to be a servant of Christ. But if I'm so busy serving you and looking for your praises and pleasing you and and us pleasing one another, where is Christ in all that? Where is the authority in all that? What human voices do we vaunt over God's voice? Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. See, there's many teachers in the world, many podcasters, many YouTubers, many voices, many voices we can listen to, but at the end of the day, at the end of everything, what we need is, what we need is to obey the guiding voice of God's word. So who do you seek to please? God or men? And here's the, here's the point that we need to understand is that leaders are defined by where they place authority. That's what's going to define you as a leader. It's what ought to define you as a leader. So where do you get your talking points? Where do you, where do you, where's your guidebook for life? Right? I mean, we all have our favorite podcasters, sure. Right? Like some of y'all. <clears throat> but listen to me. I don't need the world's social commentary. I don't need the intellect of men. I need the perfection of Christ. And my leadership fails the moment I I refuse to acknowledge that. Critical. Critical to who we are. 
So leaders are defined by where they place authority, but leaders are also defined by how they see themselves in light of that authority, right? What else does it say here? That ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one, uh, one against another. So this phrase, puffed up, it pops up a lot in this chapter, okay? And also in several other places in, in the epistles specifically, Paul likes to use this phrase, but puffed up means to grow in arrogance. That's what that means. And in our contemporary English language, we have an idiom that's similar to that, and that is to get a big head, right? All right, there's people that have literally have big heads. And they used to get made fun of all the time when I was in high school. There was always, there was always one dude in the clique with a big head, and when, like, like physically a big head. And you would refer to him as things like peanut head, you know. And they just, they got, okay, but, but, but when we're talking about the idiom, Micah, you ever heard of that before? Anybody ever refer to you as a peanut head? No. <laughs> That's like a tear goes down. <laughs> okay, but, but what we're referring to is this idea that, that, that as we live life and, and as we've maybe experienced fruitfulness or blessing or, or, or maybe we learn a thing or two or, or we, we grow in our ability to, to do things, that we have this tendency in our flesh to, to grow in our arrogance, right? To get puffed up, to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And this is incredibly dangerous to ministry, and when we, we submit to that which is written, then the, th- the truth is, when we submit to the words here, then it will very naturally deflate the pride and the arrogance that we are so inclined to. Okay, so when your head gets big, all you have to do is go back and read Job 25.6 and remind yourself of who you really are. Here's the next key point. Don't think better of yourselves than you do others. Because the context here is still the unity of the church and the body of Christ. And, and what he's talking about here is this tendency that we have to compare ourselves to each other. And in light of that leader, leader over there, I feel pretty good about myself. In, the, in, the, in light of how that person does things and, 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 you know, the mistakes that they make, I feel really good about myself. And this comparing that takes place, this comparing ourselves among ourselves, is only going to result in division, and disunity in the body. And that's what was happening here in Corinth. And so we've got to learn not to think better of ourselves than we do other people. In fact, Romans chapter 12, 10 tells us, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Preferring, placing preference on the body of Christ over that of myself. Preferring one another. I prefer you over myself. That's the way leaders function. Look at this series of rhetorical questions that, that Paul asks here in light of the truth that he just presented, okay? Now, you can hear there's, there's a tone, tonal shift in the way that Paul's talking at this point, okay? You can hear he's going to begin infusing some sarcasm into what he's saying, and so he presents these, these rhetorical questions with the intention of pointing out how flawed their way of thinking has been. So verse 7, for who maketh thee to differ from another? In other words, who made you unique? Who made you unique? Did you do that? 
Did you knit yourself in your mother's womb? Did you, do you have the, the power to determine exactly who you're going to be? And did you make yourself so good? If you're different from another person, is that your doing? You know, Matthew 6, 27 says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And the point there that Christ is making is none of you. Because if I could, I would. Because it would have given me an advantage in basketball. <laughs> a cubit to my statue would have been just right, in fact. I stopped growing in ninth grade. It was a real problem. So I had to, I had to transition from the power forward position that I played through middle school into a, into a small forward. It's tough. It was a tough tough thing to overcome. If I could have just thought to myself, self, grow a foot, I would have done it. But alas, I cannot. And you don't make you special either. You don't have the ability to make yourself unique. God makes you special. God made you unique. God crafted you. God made you who you are. So what claim do you have to have pride? Like, what... You didn't make you look that way, how be however beautiful you think you look, or however peanut-headed you look, okay? You weren't responsible for any of that. You weren't responsible for your eye color, your hair color, your complexion, your height. You're not, re you're not responsible for those things. You're not responsible for the way that God gifted you. You know, at the beginning of this book, Paul points out the fact that the church in Corinth was an incredibly gifted group of people. And it was that gifting that caused some of their pride, that caused some of them to get those big heads and to get puffed up. And they thought to themselves, well, we're real special. We're really good at what we do. And in that, they laid claim on what God had actually done in them. Look at this next question. And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? What blessing has been bestowed upon you that you actually earned? Did you earn your salvation? Did you earn a good family, a good career? Did you earn those things? Uh, don't be so proud. You received those things from God. You received those things from God. He gifted you with those things. Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? If God is the giver and you are the receiver, then why are you acting like you deserve blessing? You haven't earned anything. God gave you the good gifts. Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You didn't earn that. The gifting that you have and the ability that you have. Now listen to me. I always need to counterpoint this because a lot of you guys think too lowly of yourselves. And you look at yourself and you see yourself, you compare yourself to other people. And, and you have, you take on a different type of pride. Okay? And that's a, that's a pride of self-hate. That's a different kind of pride. It's pride nonetheless. Because you say to yourself, what God made in me is not good enough. 
who God made me to be and the gifts that he gave me, that somehow you're deficient, that, that God, you know, invested more time and energy into someone else. But guess what? He made you exactly the way he wanted you to be. And he wants you to use those gifts and leverage them, not for your own glory and not for men's praise, but for his glory and for his praise, praise because he deserves the honor. See, Corinth had stolen God's glory and given it to men. They had dishonored one another and, and esteemed themselves higher than, than one another. So here's the two points. Leaders are defined by where they place their authority, and leaders are defined by how they see themselves. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Don't think more lowly of yourself than you ought. See yourself as a redeemed creature of God, a child that he's made something in, that he's begun a good work in, and he is going to fulfill that work if you simply yield yourself to him and put him over yourself. So those are two principles that we need to hold on to as leaders. Now, let's look at the example of servanthood that we find in Paul. Now, this is where things get real sharp, okay? This is, Paul gets real witty here, all right? Bold, bold in his response to the pride that he sees in the church in Corinth. And he's gonna use sarcasm as a compositional technique, okay, in order to paint a picture of the Corinthian church as they imagine themselves to be, how they perceive themselves. He's going, to, he's going to exaggerate that so they would fully see just how weak they really are. Okay, so check this out. Verse 8. Now ye are full. Okay, now full, full means satisfied. Okay. Now ye are full. Now ye are rich. And ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign, that we might also reign with you. Okay, can you, can you hear the humor in his tone? Maybe, maybe you missed it. He's, he's saying the following, basically. Wow, guys. Who or what could you possibly need? You have all you could ever want. It's like, it's like heaven on earth at the church in Corinth. It's like you've reigned as kings. And you've reigned as kings without me. You didn't even need the Apostle Paul. You have it all figured out. You don't need the apostles. You don't need leaders to lovingly correct you, instruct you, build you up in your faith. You don't need any of that. Why? Because you've reigned without us. You're full. You're satisfied. You're rich. Now, can you hear in this speech, can you hear the church of Laodicea? Can you, can you hear in what he's saying and in this sarcastic speech the concepts that we derive from Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, when it says, And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witnesses, the beginning of the creation of God. This is Christ's assessment of the church of Laodicea. I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, what? I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? Need I say once again that we are the church of Laodicea? 
that we are a people in this world that think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, and we don't need Jesus Christ because we have cupboards that are full of food and houses over, over our heads, and we've got insurance, and we've got good jobs, and we have families that love us and care for us, and we, we have no wants in this world. And when we go to church, we, we are prepared to have our egos stroked, and people love us and affirm us in every possible way, and so that we couldn't possibly see Jesus Christ. We couldn't possibly see our need because we are rich and we have need of nothing. And so when Paul addresses the church in Corinth, he's saying, look, you've reigned as kings. What could you possibly need with me as your leader? All you need is what you got. Good for you. Their, their pride abounded. The church in Corinth was fully satisfied with themselves and, and had become independent and self-sustaining. They didn't, they didn't need God. They didn't need the Apostle Paul, and they didn't need Jesus Christ. Now, the question for us is, do you struggle to believe that, that you need the people that God has given you in the church? Like, do, do, do you struggle when you look around at the leadership at this church? Do you struggle to say to yourself, I need these people in my life? I need the words of God. I need the people of God. You know, this is the problem I think that a lot of, of, of addicts have. Um, that when they get sober, they get the help that they need. They, 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 they get the counseling that they need and they kick the habit they begin to build structure into their life. They begin to build accountability into their life. And they begin to move forward. They get, they get work and they begin to, 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 to have a sense of success. And it's in the midst of that success that so many addicts relapse because they get to the place that they, they think to themselves that all they actually need is what they've got. They've got it figured out. And we're just like that in our faith. A little fruitfulness, a little blessing, some good times, a season, a season of joy. And then along the way, we forget who we really are and that we have no power and we have no fruitfulness and we have no blessings outside of Jesus Christ. And we lose sight. And we think of ourselves more highly than we really are. You know, Midtown Baptist Temple has been blessed. We just learned about that, the vision update. We we rehearsed all the ways in which God has blessed us, but we were also reminded of something very true. That in a season of blessing, in the midst of God's mighty work, we are in danger of seeing ourselves more highly than we ought. God forbid, among our leaders in particular, that we would choose pride over a spirit of humility. We have to lower ourselves. That's a choice that you make. You know, you know, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. But God wants knees that bow of free will and human volition. He, wa he wants knees that will bow because we choose to. Because we see ourselves as lower than him. And we see ourselves as a needy people. And we see ourselves as desperate that he would use us. 
we need to retain or gain a spirit of humility in our work if we are going to be the leaders that he wants us to be. Paul continues by drawing a contrast between the convenience of their pride, right? The convenience of their pride and the absurdity of it. And And he draws a contrast between that and true servant leadership, true servant leadership. And so this is the crux of the matter is that is that our humility is required if we're going to serve each other. If we're going to have a true servanthood where we, we are self-sacrificing, then we have to begin with humility. Now, he's going, to, he's going to point out how ridiculous they sound. Verse 9, For I think that God has sent forth us the apostles last. Now, now real quick, what he's saying is, look, I, I, I'm actually, I've come to believe that God has chosen the apostles to be the lowest form and station in all of human history. That's what he's saying. Is it Because we know that in the first century, God selected a group of men as being particularly special, and they're referred to as the apostles. Okay? These are men that qualified in many different ways. If you want to learn about it, go back to the Acts study. Okay? But God selected a small group of men to live out very unique lives. And when he did that, In order to use them the way that he wanted to use them, he had to take them and place them at the bottom of the list. He had to make them incredibly low. And so Paul's saying, you know what? I've come to believe that that God has made the apostles very last in all of human history. That men like Apollos and Paul, they they lived moment by moment in the lowest station of life with the greatest difficulty. As it, was, as it were appointed to death, God appointed them to death, to martyrdom. They had a death sentence over their head. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Paul and his fellow apostles were destined for great hardships Never were any men in this world more hunted and hated than them. They lived day to day with their lives in danger. They were a shining spectacle, an enigma in God's plan. And it required in them a spirit of humility and indebtedness and a servant's heart. Now watch as he further distinguishes that kind of leadership from the leadership he sees in Corinth. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake but ye are wise in Christ. In other words, while you believe you have all the answers as leaders, we've chosen the foolishness of of servanthood. You think you have all the answers. That's okay. You think yourself wise. That's okay. We've chosen foolishness. We are weak, but ye are strong. That's okay. You're delusioned. In, this, in your own strength, you think in, in the flesh of your own arm that you can lead and that you have power. But we as leaders, we as the apostles, chose the strength of Christ instead. You're honorable, but we are despised. That's okay. As you're seeking to garner the respect of men and get honor from, from men as men pleasers, we as leaders have chosen to be despised by the world. Do you see the contrast there? You think yourself wise. You think yourself strong. You think yourself honorable. We have chosen, as leaders, the harder path. 
and it is only to God's glory. That's powerful. That's powerful. And that is the way that leadership in the church should function. We are not wise, we are not honorable, and we are not strong. God is all those things. And the only way for him to be those things in us is to choose to be despised, to choose to be weak, and choose to be fools for his namesake. Verse 11, even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted, which means beaten and abused, and have no certain dwelling place. We have no place to lay our head. And labor, working with our hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and the offscouring of all things unto this day. Paul's not writing this to get their sympathy. He's writing this to call them to live as he lives. Now when we talk about radical Christianity, this is what we're talking about. When we're talking about examples and the standard that a Christian ought to, to, to find, to mold their life after, we are talking about this. So why are you so busy trying to make a comfortable life for yourself? Why are you so busy preoccupying yourself with accolades, acknowledgments of men, affirmation from one another in the church, positions of authority where you can say, look, my name made it onto the org chart. All of that's vanity. All of it. All, none, look, go back to chapter 3. None of that stuff makes it through the fire. It will be revealed for exactly what it is. Dung. Chaff. No, 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 no. The better way is to hunger, and to be reviled, and to be the offscouring of the earth, the refuse and the waste. You know, Christians get a bad rap in this world. In America today, Christians get a bad rap. Ah, you weren't living in the first century. You don't know what a bad rap is. we would be privileged to be hated. That we would be so blessed by God that the world would hate us. That we might be used. That we might be a blessing that we might stand in contrast to a world of pride and arrogance. Yeah. 
that we might be all the things that God made us to be. So why? Why must so many of us be worried with positions or concerned with honor? Why do so many of us come to church to consume and not be consumed? See, what if we did ministry the way Christ intended his disciples to do it? What if we followed Christ's model of servant leadership to a T? Mark 10, 42 says this. But Jesus called them to him, that's his disciples, and said unto them, ye know that they which are counted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Okay, so he's talking about, he's talking about Roman government and the, and the structure of Roman government and the way that Gentiles handle authority. And that's us, by the way. You know we're Gentiles. And, and by that, um, we, have a, we have a tendency to actually look just like this type of lordship that, that Christ is defining right here. Okay, so you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Harsh authority. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, meaning servant. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be a servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ came to earth to serve you and to sacrifice for you, to give his life a ransom for your, for your sake, for your soul's sake. And as leaders, we're not to lord over God's people. We are not to boss people around. We have not been set free to the comforts of rulership. Key point, we have been set free to steward God's word and serve God's people. That's what we've been set free to do, is to be a servant, is to sacrifice, to put other people over ourselves. And how many of us see our lives this way? How many of us look at the difficulty and even abuses associated with doing ministry, how many of you look on that with pleasure? How many of us define who we are based on our joy in suffering No, we are inclined to think it's our time and our resources and our energy and we will use it however we want it. No, uh, no, listen to me. You have nothing that wasn't given to you. Without Christ, we are nothing. How could you possibly withhold what God has given you and call it your own? The moment you put yourself into the saving, 
grace of Jesus Christ, as soon as you took that plunge, you were no longer, you were no longer you anymore. See, you've been set free, set free to serve. You were once in bondage to this world, now you're in servitude to Christ. That's who we are, and that's how we lead, and that's how this ministry should strive to lead, and that's how you should desire to lead in your own personal life. And so I want to invite the worship team up, and I'm going to pray. And, and this is the invitation. This is the invitation that as we pray, the Lord would convict you of your need to let go of false identities and things that you hold in pride. Okay, so any, any, anything that you find pride in, find pleasure in, any ways in which you're seeking to please other people over, you, over, over your pleasure in Christ, we need to repent of that today. We need to get this worked out. We need to get it right because we want God to use us in this world. We want to be missionaries and ministers to our city. We want to see our Bible studies grow. We want to see disciples made. We want to see people set free from bondage. And if we want to see those things happen and we want God to use us, then we need to get the pride out of the way. We need to do away with it. And so whatever it is that you need to take before the Lord that you've been carrying in pride, let's do that now, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing that it is. God, we, we thank you for harsh words. These were particularly difficult words, which we already knew in advance that studying 1 Corinthians, we were gonna encounter a lot of difficult and, and, and trying uh, truths. And this is one of those. And Lord, most of us in this room have pride. We struggle with it. We deal with it from day to day. Pride in the way that we look. Pride in the way that we carry ourselves. Pride in our jobs or our positions or, or how we think people see us. We, we have pride. And we don't even, we don't even know it. It just, it just underpins every aspect of our life. It just, it's just ingrained in, into who we are. We don't even see it. God, I pray that we would do the hard work of digging up the roots of pride in our life that have infiltrated and choked out our ability to be used. We want to be servant leaders. Would you make us servant leaders by dealing with our pride and making us humble? Help us, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.